0: Hello and welcome to Next. I'm your host, Marcus Atkinson. If you get an opportunity, go to our page on Facebook and like the page. Go to our Twitter feed on 814Next, lend your voice to the dialogue. Here we have a special guest in studio for a one-on-one conversation. Had him on the show before, and I said to myself, if I brought him back, I wanted to just talk to him. And once he was elected city council president, I said, now is the time to invite my man, Chuck Nelson. Newly elected city council president, Chuck Nelson. Chuck, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Marcus. All right. And so, first of all, congratulations. Thanks. Thanks. (laughs) This has happened rather quick. You've been on council for how long now?
1: I just finished my first year, so this is actually... This is the first time in 30 years that a second year councilman's been elected president. Wow. Wow. That's yeah. pretty impressive. Yeah, last time, 30 years ago, it was a young guy named Ed Brzezinski. And he's still around. He's <laughs> so still he, around. You keep him around for a while. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, the fact that he's still around, that mindset is, is something that we want to discuss today. Let's go back before you were on city council, though, because I know that many people are aware of your story already, but I want to touch on that slightly because you came from ministry yeah, yeah. into this. Talk about the role from ministry into what you're doing now and why city council of all the positions you could have run for.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, and it's, and I love the idea of coming from ministry. I mean, I'm still in the ministry and I'm treating this work like it's Mm. ministry. Um, So, the the picture you know the needs that come about it are are so local they're so tangible we had we had someone coming into the uh city council meeting this week talking about issues and at the end of the day it was like an easy fix man i gave her my my pastor card and said the church can just fix this for you like come over i got some guys we'll we'll take care of this issue for you um so so we still you know we still have this opportunity uh, to, to address it as a, as a ministry. But the, the first thing that really drew me into it was uh city council passed an ordinance that was punitive to the downtown homeless community. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was one of my guys got his probation revoked, spent three months in jail waiting for a revocation hearing wow. over something petty. And they thought it was a slap on the wrist, but nobody was, nobody was so close to that community to realize what the actual impacts were. Mm-hmm. So, um, I knew I could swim upstream of them. You know, I, I, I knew nobody was electing some guy that's uh, that's out on probation with because he was stealing TVs from prep to pay for heroin. That's, that's a tough election thing, man. That's, that's not just skeletons in the closet. But I knew I could get upstream of them, and, you know, I was uh, electable, if you will, mm-hmm. and that I could actually find the solutions. And I have a lot of ideas for solutions
0: to drive the city forward. So even before you came on the city council, from a pastoral standpoint, you've always been a different kind of pastor for people that know you. There's nothing traditional per se about your style as a pastor. What do you attribute that to um, in your past? Oh man, um, you know, I got I got a, I got a weird upbringing, and you know, I'm
1: not supposed to point this out. I'm not from here, you know. Like that's one of those things I'm not supposed to For point shame. out, right? For shame. Um, you know, <laughs> but I, I was, uh, you know, I was a guy that was uh, born to a teen mom and a Bible school dropout slash kick out. Cause of getting that teen mom pregnant, uh, you know, in, in Youngstown. Yeah. Oh man. You know? Okay. So, and that was back when Youngstown had the highest killings per capita, you mm. know I mean? Like we were, you know, we were, it was tough luck. And, uh, you know, by the time I was three, it was a family of five and one bedroom house. Yeah. And my dad was just trying to get through college at that point. He just graduated, you know, at 25 years old at that point. And, uh, so, I mean, we, so I, I have these experiences of of, those kinds of challenges and then uh when i was 11 my dad got into harvard and after that it was very different you mm. know i went to the same where i went to school in sixth grade was just a little school and it's where jfk went it's where barbara walters went it's where conan o'brien robert i mean like the roster of the school wow. was silly um i moved up to exeter for uh, my high school years like it was it was silly the kind of resources we had Um, and the exposures I had. So bringing all that together, you know, there was, there was a a point to, to using the privileges that, that I was graciously received in my life, um, to use them to serve well. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so and then the other thing is uh, being, on, being on staff at church in the, in the basic professional way is boring. I think professional ministry sucks. Yeah. So I didn't, uh, I didn't have much interest in doing that. And uh, when I tried it, I didn't like it. And then I realized that I could skip all of those meetings that weren't really doing anything. Yeah. And if I didn't do those meetings, I could wait tables and make as much money as, uh, as mm-hmm. I was as a youth pastor. Mm-hmm. So I did that for a while. And, then, uh, and, and this is what's all come of it. It's been pretty fun.
0: So, you know, if you read the book... Obviously, the subject of widows and orphan brings, you know, our our God, a lot of righteous indignation. They're they're mentioned over and over and over and over again in the book. For you, you know, just like you pointed out earlier, homelessness seems to touch to touch you internally. It seems to be some righteous indignation attached to that. Where did that come from specifically?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I, I so I give my background. I still don't have any experience with that kind of stuff. So when we were talking about where to where to start a church, um. There's books about how to start a church well, right? right. Uh, and they say, you know, find where the greatest where the greatest opportunities. You want to find a growing population that's growing in affluence that has a low market share. Like like business principles.
0: Right. <laughs> right. And uh, And you see a lot of churches like that. Yeah, yeah.
1: And that's you know, that's but what's ended up happening with that, and this is what I'm doing my doctorate on, I'm I'm at dissertations uh, my dissertation stage. But seventy five percent of churches that have been starting the last ten years are in the top twenty-five percentile of zip codes mm. for uh, socioeconomic mm. wealth. You start figuring out that you can't do church poor. Um and then and then you look at how Jesus did ministry and when John the Baptist is in jail and 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 they're saying hey are you really the Messiah? He comes back and he says hey you know the poor you know the prisons are being the prisons are being freed the the poor are being liberated you know like this is the evidence of the Son of Man as he's as he's quoting Isaiah. Like this is so 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 to 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 show the actual fruit of the Spirit, you know that It should come back to how we bring together a broad range of people, you know, in in a setting where there's no free or slave, where there's no Greek or Jew, where there's no man or woman, like it should look like that Mm -hmm. as an outcome of what our faith is. Um, so I don't know this is, I, I'm, you know, I, I don't want to get too, too preachy, I on you. This I got, stuff, but, but I,
0: I want to set up who you um, are and how you serve based on yeah, who you are.
1: Yeah. So, so take, take my background and my experiences. Uh, Philippians chapter two talks about Jesus and it says how he was on a throne in heaven and he took on the form of a servant, even to the point of the cross. And then it tells believers to likewise do the same. Mm. Now I'm no, I'm on no throne, but my, my education, my experiences, like even my current setup is is, is thrown-ish. Right. Hey, prison city council, I got a nice chair. Maybe we call that a throne today. Right. <laughs> like it's a matter of stepping off of that and taking right. on the form of a servant. And that's what I've, that's what I've tried to do. Um, but you know, I'm still, I still might be a total narcissist. So who knows if it's just me, you know, satisfying my self-centered nature. Uh, that's, that's the things I try to keep at bay.
0: <laughs> was it a, was it a realistic thought of you being elected to city council? Were you just trying to prove a point?
1: Um, I don't know if it was realistic. I think I convinced myself that it was in 19. Um, I first applied for an appointment and uh, that was not realistic, but I, I'm I'm cocky enough to think that I should have gotten it, which now I should not have gotten it. I, I'm now that I see the job, I can see why they wouldn't pick me. Uh, and then I ran and, you know, I kind of convinced myself all along. But um, when I got on there, you know, I mean, it was, it was realistic by that point, mm-hmm. you know, like, but there's a lot of, um, I, I'm, I'm just kind of guy that hates, hates, hates failure. Um, so, so I'll just keep working until, until I win. And, uh, and that probably, you know, this is this, so, so having a couple Friday meetings at the County courthouse. And then ending up in this show talking about what this is doing and seeing, like, that's just me not winning and getting angrier and angrier until I start winning more.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so you get elected. Is there any part of the job that feels restrictive? Because, again, you've been a very free-spirited pastor. You seem to have more liberty in in what you do than most, yeah. and you don't seem to allow other people to impose their own limits, limitations, way of doing things on you. Is there any part of this job that feels restricting based on that personality of yours?
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and 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 that's just a matter of like you know where you pick your fights and how you push it because some of that stuff, um, you know, I, you know, some of those spots if. You, you, can, you can just step back and say, all right, that's not—it didn't go my way, and then I move on to some next thing. As much as I say how much I hate losing, I also—I've also been careful about how I pick my wins and losses. Right. Um, politics. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what politics is. I haven't is. taken them personally. Yeah. Um, but the, the game—the games of it have, as to, like, how to—even getting things on an agenda— You know, like this is, you know, city council puts out their agenda, you know, I'll write up the agenda on Thursday and and we'll put it up on Friday and then we're going to have a meeting on it on Wednesday. Getting things on the agenda was tricky for me. I didn't I didn't understand how to do it. Uh, you know, cause you're supposed to go through a certain process and then I figured out you could skip all that process. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I thought I was, you know, there, there is a way that it's typically done and then, but really all you need to do is sponsor a piece of legislation and get a second and then it has to be on. So when I figured out that I could skip the, the couple steps of like, you know, keeping everybody happy and I could just push stuff. Um, that changed things quickly. I, I started passing ordinances basically from uh, that was like July, August. I first figured out how to do that by skipping steps. And then and then I was the primary sponsor of almost every ordinance we had after that. Mm-hmm. Like I just start putting stuff on. And otherwise it was coming down from the fifth floor it was coming down the, from the mayor's office solicitor to us. And this this kind of flipped it where I would say, hey, Jasmine, will you second this? And the two of us just started. Start Mm -hmm. changing
0: some things. So obviously you have an inside view right now from city council's perspective. Before you were a citizen and you've always had that that vantage point. So the Schimber administration, the the, the Senate administration from the outside, you know, the these two mayors operated very differently. Give us the strengths of both of those administrations in your opinions, in your opinion. And, you know, what, what should we use from these two mayors going forward? And where are the struggles? Yeah.
1: I mean, one of the, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all different. The wind's blowing in a different direction today mm-hmm. than it was in the Senate administration. When Senate was in, in office, you know, we had, for a lot of that, we had Republican at the federal and state level, level and that changes the funding that comes into cities. And then the other thing is where else they found money. So, I mean, we've got more money coming in. We've got COVID ARPA money coming in. Um, that's $76 million. And then that water deal, you know, I mean, we, we were getting three and a half to $5 million over the course of that life. And uh, we, went from, we went from that going through 2040 to then extending it all to 2050, taking it as one big lump sum. And now you got a mayor, like what would Senate do if he had 180 million in the bank? One hundred and seventy million in the bank. Maybe it would have looked a little different. Maybe Mm -hmm. we would have been able to. um, But but the styles are the styles are different. I love I love you know um, you know some people are asking me some of those kinds of questions about stuff for my future. But uh, you know like when you look at Schember, like he is at, at. everything is mm-hmm. city council president. If I want to schedule lunch with him, I'm scheduling it a month out. And, uh, and it's just cause nobody wanted to go out to lunch on Valentine's day that now he and I have time to go out. It's not a date, but you know, like <laughs> 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 when his secretary sent me that date, I was like, Hey, it's been going well, but not that well. Um, social media set ablaze. <laughs> <though>, and- <laughs> yeah. So I mean like, you know, he's everywhere and that wasn't, you know, you'd see Senate, the joke was you'd see him at roar on the shore leading the parade. Mm-hmm. Like that wasn't, um, but the people in city hall, they saw Senate a lot more, you know, and, and he had a lot more of a hand on things. He was walking down to the finance office a little more, you know, my city, the city clerk, um, she talks about, you know, how much she would hear from, you know, Senate or from, uh, for, from Schember, um, even on city council, you know, some of the city council members talk about how, like when Senate would want to get something done, mm-hmm. he'd call a couple people on city council, run it by them first and move yeah. it. And, and Schember hasn't, um, I think I'm building that kind of relationship with Schember, but uh, you know, he's he's friends with Mel, but I don't know how much policy stuff they talk mm-hmm. about. You know, like it's
0: it's a different it's there's some different inside and outside presences. You hit on a couple of things that I want to touch on for just a moment before we start going into some of the inner workings of City Council. One, yes, the mayor is at everything. Now that you are in this leadership position on council, what do you take from that? What's the value, in your opinion, if at all? Of being as seen and as engaged as the mayor is in this community, yeah. So,
1: I mean, I feel like I, I can hear from the community. His his thing ends up being a lot of, um, you know, uplifting it, giving it a hope and a spirit. He becomes almost like a little bit of a mascot, and I, I don't say that with any sort of demeaning. Like we need we need a mascot in this city. Uh, you know, it's not dreary here. We need a cheerleader. Um, but then even between those guys, there was other examples, you know, I talked to, there's a, there's an old timer that I got breakfast with. On, on occasion on Fridays and uh, he, you know he tells me stories about how the mayor you know would stay on that track of power between Philadelphia, Pittsburgh and Harrisburg mm-hmm. how he would go down to uh, DC once a quarter like you can see different strategies across the board for it and that's that's something that as, as city council president I get a little more freedom to do you know I, I get to jump across those uh, those barriers of, um, of, of partisanship you know I got to talk to the Republicans um, on on county council and make sure that we have relationships that we're talking about different pieces with that um you know I, I'll you know when we're I was uh, I was with you at that one lunch a couple of weeks ago I get to talk to the um the congressman's uh staffer you know like there's there's those public perception you know those, those those reach and then in the business community um you know there's there's a lot of value to that um but then at the end of the day like if you're not if you're not sitting there crunching the numbers on the budget yeah. and figuring out ordinances and researching other cities like this week i talked to the mayor of altoona and the mayor of lancaster about policy
0: points. that has to be valuable
1: yeah yeah and and i talked to the head of the uh pennsylvania municipal league for mm-hmm. some references who i should talk to next yeah and those are people that i need to bring in to talk to the mayor so he could get on board with some legislation i'm looking at
0: you touched on something i want to get your opinion on it you can go as deeply into it as you want to or you cannot touch on it at all you mentioned county council yeah and when you look at county government today, as we record this today, so this isn't something I'm just bringing up for the sake of bringing up, it's on the cover again, you know, court battle over vetoes considered. And so you have a legal battle going on with members of the DEI commission. You have yeah. a legal battle going on with county government against with, with people in the community. You've got Winarski being censured. Yeah, <laughs> Then yeah. you've got this going on. What What goes through your mind as you watch everything play out in county government, in such short order.
1: Yeah, I mean, I got a little better seat than I did two years ago for that, you know, but I'm still in the cheap seats for the county stuff. There's some stuff where, like, from my ministry standpoint, like Friday, there was a news uh, piece with Erie News Now where uh, where the. The county executive said he wanted to start like a coalition of uh, of people to address homelessness, and like as I'm like l- listening to that report, I-, I was like, "It's called the Home Team." Like everything you're talking <laughs> about, it's called the Home Team. It already right. exists; it's happening. Uh, you have one of the girls from my church is on it. Like we give you a report; they got the data. You want to talk about how it addresses education? They got people from the IU Five from the city school. Like it's all there. Yeah. Um. You know the stuff that's happened with the Nerve Center. Like you you say, "Hey, this is best practices in Cincinnati. This is best practice in Seattle." and You can see it internationally. How it addresses Vancouver. It's really good. We're hoping to start this here you look at those those run through what's called a chamber of commerce you know like like it's like these things you know we don't need to reinvent the wheel some of them need refined some of them need tweaked some of them need improved upon Mm -hmm. but uh, we don't need to keep blowing stuff up and starting over yeah um, and and how that is sustainable for a future so those are the things but like like I am referencing I'm referencing newspaper articles I'm still not in the the good seats for these the fights happening on on and, and some of this is like a learning curve I know the learning curve I've had on city council, uh, when you're running a, a, almost $600 million, uh, enterprise, maybe you don't know about the home team. I mean, that's understandable after the first year on the job. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the guy's still, is the guy's still a rookie? And, uh, so, you know, you gotta, you gotta figure that out. The, uh, the County council, you know, uh, I read the article there too, and I'm a I'm a committee person. I I just happened to miss that meeting, mm-hmm. but it passed unanimously. The censuring of uh,
0: Winarski. Oh yeah, forty some odd members yeah. of the Democratic Party.
1: Yeah, and and you know I mean the party chair takes heat for that, but. Um, he's not even the one that brought it forward. I was there when it got brought forward as another committee member. And he kind of like, actually was like, Whoa, 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 you can't say that. You know, like he, he reined it in just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Not, you can't say that he wasn't, he reined it in a little bit. He's like, let's work on this. We'll look at it next month. Yeah. And, um, and then it came back, he was unanimous. Uh, and, and, but I like his quote in the paper and I, I'm not going to say it word for word cause I don't. I'm not, uh, you know, I don't know, but it was. He talked about how Winarski was working on city council and how there's shades of gray. And when you're on an all Democratic party, you know, an all Democratic body, it's it's hard to tell. He's like, okay, you're on the right side of the Democratic party, but right. you're not just necessarily a straight up Republican. And then you get on body that's split three three, and you see, like, I mean, these, yeah, it, and and then it's not an issue. Like, I don't have problems with Republicans. I just I just like to know if they are a Republican,
0: right? Declare, (laughs) right? That's why you have parties, yeah, right. So, and at the same time, you can appreciate Winarski when he says in the newspaper that, you know, hey, this is bipartisan. You know governance. This is what government looks like, and some people feel that way. But I think the prevailing thought, from what I've understood, is what you just said. If you yeah. if, if you are a Republican, just kind of declare that. Yeah, yeah. You know, interesting thought. I want to. Well, you're listening to next. You're listening to next on WQLN. I'm Your host Marcus Atkinson. We are here in studio with newly elected City Council President Chuck Nelson, and Chuck has been talking to us about his journey to this position thus far, his background. Uh, and his current role still as a minister and being involved with ministry. And so I want to kind of segue into the actual city council stuff. I want to reference a a few articles just to kind of get your take on it. The article by Jamin Hickson September 8th, 2022 ageism. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) The ageism comment. And so talk to me about what happened there. Yeah, that's, you
1: know, Here's some. I believe representation matters. You know, we got ten elected officials in the city of Erie back last s- September, mm-hmm. and uh, only two, only three of them are women. That's an underrepresentation. We do need more women. Uh, we got this appointment coming up, and now we're now we're down to two women. I'd love to see a woman in that role. Right. Representation matters. Uh, racial representation matters. Yes. We've got a diverse city council that mm-hmm. kind of balances us out. The other bodies outside of city council, you know, are all white, but we 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 have pretty good representation on race on city council. Uh, in our of our ten elected officials, there's ten elected officials. Half of them are in their 70s. Mm-hmm. That is not representative. And to point out that it's not representative isn't aegis. That's right. just uh, like being able to count. Um, now, there's other things that in this particular case, it was because of a resolution being reversed on the police, where uh, five, four of the five people that supported it were in their 70s, and of the three people that resisted it. Um, they were all under the age of, you know, uh, I think I think Keys would have been the oldest one. and He's in his 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there's some differences about how the brain develops as to why old people would be more concerned to need police. And this wasn't this also I don't see this as being ageist, uh, but I'm uh, I'm 38 years old back when I was 21 and I was, a you know, a college wrestler and I would have to find a parking spot to go out. I was pretty much comfortable parking anywhere. Yeah, I mean, you know, like I just wasn't afraid. And uh, you know, now you know, I remember I parked in some spots back in college where girls would be like, "Hey, uh," I'm like, "Girl, are you with me?" <laughs> you know, like, like now, you know, I park somewhere and I got my my girl in the car, you know, my wife in the car, yeah. my girls in the car. Like, you're aware, I'm aware, right? Because I'm old. I'm not, you yeah. know. And I imagine that if I'm walking around with a cane, I'm probably really going to want a cop somewhere close mm-hmm. by to where I park. Mm-hmm. That's not that's not ageist. That's just common sense right but to represent that so heavily in the voting body is uh is notable and and i think it's worth pointing out that you know and and why we need good representation mm-hmm. from all backgrounds
0: well it's interesting because the theme of this show next and when you look at the original trailers for when i first started the show six seven years ago that's what it was based upon. Next generation leadership, and if you listen to this show at all, that theme comes up somewhat regularly. I think that when you look at a city like Erie, black, white, it really doesn't matter. The generational divide is real. So when I read that in the newspaper, I'm thinking, and Liz Allen, full disclosure, is one of my favorite people. Mel Witherspoon, that's my brother, and you know. But this conversation tends to come up in every single subject. So when I saw you, Miller, I'm thinking, you know, welcome to the game, because this happens all around the board. We do seem to struggle with just what you said, yeah. representation, yeah and and moving things on to a newer generation. And you know, when you look at that, well, let me ask you this, what was the take of other members on council or even in the community <laughs> as they as they read? and watch that on the news play
1: out that city council meeting uh, was hilarious i mean they were discussing how to spend 14 million dollars that at first had been reined back in and uh and then they they uh ed brzezinski had had flipped on it which you know um i mean he voted for me for president he's the one threw me into this i mean we're we're good now i mean like there's no but um that that uh that day i was out of town Mm. which is why a lot of it came out in the press and uh one one council member uh, at 77 years old talked about how he still hits the heavy bag. Yeah. Another one quoted John Wayne, uh, a part where John Wayne beats up a young buck. Liz <laughs> Allen was suggesting that maybe she'd like to learn how to hit the heavy bag just in case she wants to hit it. And I mean, you were not
0: popular in your absence. <laughs> I mean,
1: it was suggested the police were there to protect me from them beating me up. I mean, oh, I, you man. know, and you know, I, I, uh, you know, am I am I petty? Yeah, I posted a I posted a, a, a I posted a thing about my grandfather that day. Yeah my grandfather's in a couple of hall of fames for boxing uh so i posted and i gave his resume as what kind of box was and then and then uh all my family said oh look at how sentimental you are chuck that's so nice man you said such <laughs> beautiful things about grandpa so i called grandpa and i was like hey grandpa i want to tell you the truth of why i did this and i told him about you know uh, uh mel talking about hitting the heavy bag yeah and suggesting that he you know uh that it, that it was a good thing i wasn't there for my own safety and he goes he thinks the cops were there for, for, for your safety. Well, he's lucky not that you weren't there, but that I wasn't there. Yeah, and, you know, my grandpa's yeah. the old boy from Youngstown. You know, he, he's going <laughs> off on it. But, you know, I mean, like, uh, when it comes down to the ages and stuff, like, like I told you, I was, get coffee with that. You know, I get breakfast with one of the guys. Like, I spent, I spent Pat Campy Bianca's birthday with him,
0: yeah. uh, his 90th birthday. See, Just me and him.
1: Like, I love getting the stories from the old guys.
0: That's what I was going to ask you because I know that, you know, I look at Fred Rush. I love going I to get Fred coffee.
1: Rush. That's who I get breakfast with on Fridays.
0: Yeah. I, I love going to I love listening to Fred Rush and get advice from him because yeah. you get that that wisdom, that yeah. experience, you know. Yeah. And and wisdom and experience, in my opinion, is never out of style. You look yeah. at someone like Mel Witherspoon who is terming out shortly, yeah. like this is his last year. Can you foresee yourself in the near future saying, Hey Mel, I'd love to sit down and pick your brain? You know, about some some council things and just some eerie things.
1: I mean, as city council president, I, I get to assign the seats like a school teacher. I mean, it's—and I put him next to me. Uh, for he that was, reason. For that reason. Okay. You know, I mean, there's no—and and Brzezinski's been very clear about this. This is why Jazz and I became president and vice president, is because Brzezinski wants to make sure that in their last year that they are shaping the city for the next 30 years. Yeah. That's what— that's what it should be like. I mean, from time I'm, I mean, give me a couple more decades, not, not, not too many more, mm-hmm. um, before that's all I'm going to be about. Uh, I'm 38. I mean, I, I expect when I'm in my 50s, I'm transitioning into that and maybe mm-hmm. starting radio shows called Next about that next generation. <laughs> 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 Are you 40s? now, never mind. We need to say that. here. We'll full see disclosure, you
0: 52, <laughs> brother, almost 53. <laughs> so listen, Jasmine Flores, she's a young buck. Yeah. Really yeah. young, female, Latinx, I mean, yeah. when you look at her being appointed to city council, that in terms of hope, I'm thinking, okay, yeah. if this is where Erie is going. I feel all right about it. Just talk about that from a citizen of Erie standpoint to see her get elected yeah. to that position.
1: It's probably like the number one thing I hear, like talking to old boys, you know, like talking to the old guys, yeah. that's probably the number one thing I hear is how pleasantly surprised they are by her. They expect her to just come in and be like a, you know, a rebel rouser. Right. And, uh, and i'm trying to use old people words cuz i feel like that rebel route. Yeah. That's an old person word. They they expected her to, you know, come in and be something that was and they they all seem to be very impressed with her, and I think we're all impressed I've run against her in three different races now, right? Like we ran against each other in a primary, a second primary, and then a general election. Yeah. So like we, you know, we've um, but we came in, and I think I think it's been an awesome working relationship. She's so smart, she's teachable. Like this year, she wanted to be vice president because she wanted to learn from somebody, right? Uh, whether that was me or Mel or whoever was going to be president. Mm-hmm. Like she she understands where she's at, where she wants to be, and she understands the steps mm-hmm. in between how to get there. She's she's very teachable. Um, You know, it's I've I have I think I think the city of Erie should be really uh, hopeful. And, you know, whatever she w- whenever she decides to do something next, I promise that she will have given it a lot of thought and that she will have prepared herself well for it. When
0: you look from a historical standpoint and you look at especially for marginalized communities, mm-hmm. activists and advocates who are very successful at moving the needle locally, regionally, nationally, worldwide. Always, almost always, have these traits that you're describing for Jasmine, right? Yeah, yeah. Because just being a straight rebel rouser, it's very tough to move the needle that way. Almost yeah. impossible. Yeah. You have to be teachable. You have to be learned. You have to understand when to, cho- you know, when to choose and pick your battles and all of that. And so, I'm glad that you pointed those things out because I think that she is representative of a generation that's out there that we tend to underestimate. Period. As older people in this community, yeah,
1: yeah, and what, like to 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 give some perspective, like usually the president, city council, sort of picks their vice president, mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes it's like a purchase thing, you know, like hey, you vote for me, and I'll I'll make you my v- vice president. Mel was going to make her vice president too. Like no matter what, Jasmine's vice president. So, so the you, respect
0: was there regardless. Yeah, the
1: respect for Jasmine across City Council is there. Uh, and when you look at votes, Jasmine and Mel probably have two of the most distinctly different votes. Right. Like probably I, I I keep pretty close track of this. Mel and Mike are the furthest ends of the spectrum, and Jasmine's a little in from Mike on that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm, I, I I thread the needle last year. I was dead middle on it. Um. But but so Mike or I'm sorry, so Mel and Jasmine, even with their voting differences, with their cultural differences, with their um, she, that, that was going to be his choice. He was gonna. He was hoping to train her up.
0: Got it. Let's let's segue and talk about Liz Allen's retirement, her resignation, yeah, from City Council. Uh, give us your thoughts when you first heard this, and so you've already given us a, a, a kind of an explanation of you know what that moment was like with the ageism, and ageism and things along those lines. You know, I think that the, the public has this perception, real or imagined, that this is not the best working relationship where you and Liz are concerned you know what truth is there to that and what was your thoughts when you saw that she was resigning
1: yeah um yeah you know I came into city council and she was the one I was looking forward to working with um but there's there's such differences you know people people have different ways of handling different settings you know the if you've ever been interviewed For a news article by her, it's very different than when she's speaking from city council or when she's in caucus meetings. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I mean, I wasn't, you know, the final, the last meeting that she made it through the whole thing, uh, December 21st, you know, she she yelled at Mike Keyes saying, did you even read? The the agenda, the, you know, the ordinance ahead of time. And, she you know, she she had a tendency for all for all in her resignation. She talked about all the name calling that happened towards her. She she would make some very demeaning comments uh, towards towards people that just disagreed with her or something like like, you know, vote. It's over. Let's walk away. And sometimes it would stretch for months where she'd be mad about it. And then in the same thing, while she asks my keys if he's even read the ordinance, she brings up questions about ordinance I brought forward, and then she has some questions about it. So I answered those questions. She goes, "Yeah, like you, you such a know-it-all, like you know, like yeah, no, no, the working relationship was bad." Um, I thought it was going to be my best working relationship in there. Cause she's a very intelligent woman Ex- and, and she usually used that research to like obstruct things that I generally thought were bad things, but it, it flipped a lot this year when she was present as to what she obstructed. And, uh, and she found herself on the other end of the, uh, other end of the table for me from time to time. And I think that she liked to, uh, I mean, the comments she made towards the people she would usually be against was usually, you know, she, I don't think she respected their intelligence as much. Yeah. And I think when she when she was going against someone that she considered a know-it-all that it, and or that did the research at an even level with her and came to a different conclusion, mm-hmm. I think it was a different kind of... And that's I'm projecting out on this. I'm just telling you where... I'll admit that the relationship with her and I deteriorated, and I'm giving my perspective as to why that is. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I... Uh, and one of the things, one of the last things we had a conversation about was she was really excited about something I had done. And we had a conversation walking out. Where it was like, Liz, half the time, I'm pretty sure I'm your favorite. And half the time, I think you're I think I'm your least favorite.
0: Politics once and, again.
1: And she laughed. And she's like, yeah, yeah that's that's probably pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. We half the time we were. We were the best. Right. And then half the time, I think she wanted to kill me.
0: Well, let me get your take on this, because in in this article, she said that many of her colleagues view their role as being, quote unquote, openly hostile to the mayor, no matter who is on the fifth floor as a way to assert power. Collectively, what is the relationship like between this body and the mayor's administration right now, in your opinion?
1: Yeah. I mean, checks and balances is a thing in governance. It really is. We are the only check and balance to the mayor. Uh, We control the budget appointments. Uh, and that's, that's about it. Mm-hmm. Ordinances, you know, like we now sometimes the mayor may give us stuff, you know, and you know, this happened with the stormwater stuff before I got there and city council shuts it down. And that was an agenda item of his other times, you know, city council can bring things forward and maybe the mayor shuts it down. Like there is a check and balance, but we don't always have to be lock and step like the, um, you know, I've, I've done an, I've done three ordinances that I think are pretty notable in the last couple mm-hmm. months. And, uh, one of them the mayor's chief of staff actively uh spoke against in the press um his chief of staff so the mayor actually kind of defended it on the radio but his chief of staff spoke against it uh, another one they were actively working on and then i just brought forward the legislation and wrote it the way i wanted it and then the solicitor did it, did his job and then gave it back to me and i edited mm-hmm. it and then another one that they never really heard of and they didn't really say anything about gotcha. you know like like that's cool i mean like we should be independent bodies mm-hmm. um there are some people that that view the mayor's you know that they disagree with some of the stuff the mayor does so they want to fight against him there's other people that seem to agree with everything he says and they want to fight for him um i i look and i say here's what i want to do and sometimes we're gonna fight sometimes we're gonna you know fight right. together but i got my own stuff I'm i got one more
0: question on this yep. les allen thing and then i want to move on to, to a a program that you sponsored that I'm really excited about and I'm very interested in. She says that, you know, her stepping down. I do hope that my stepping down is a wake up call to candidates who might run in 2023 municipal election. Alan said council needs competent members to come on board. My question to you is this for me, from the outside, for me, from the outside, because she is so well researched. Yeah. This feels like a loss. I mean, just as a, as a citizen and a child of Erie, I say, oh, Liz, stick around, stick around. Yeah. I want you to get your point across. I don't know if I want you to do it like this because I trust her research. I really do. Yeah, yeah. How beneficial do you think it is it is for her to step down to make this point? You know, th- for for I, we all love her research. And I used to, I there
1: was so many times where she would bring up research items and I'd be like, all right, so what are we going to do about it? Right. You know, I, I don't, I mean, yeah. there's, you gotta be able to implement it. So if you want to talk about the policies that, that, you know, we're going to move on to that in a bit here, I know, but I researched things and I brought forward and then we got a bunch of new ordinances, you know, that's, that's my game. I, I'm not here to to just talk about them and report them. I'm here to make them. Yeah. And, uh, so, so, you know, when you look at the body of work, I think, I think we'll be okay. Uh, when you look at the ability to work with others, I think we'll be really okay. You know? And, and the thing is, the electorate, you know, the the, the voting body uh, for this, we know what the job is. We know what we need out of it. Um, you know, so we will hopefully find someone that's well qualified and maybe better than candidates that run mm-hmm. uh, to fill that role. So I don't I don't feel like we're in. And then it's back up to the electorate again. We got you know, the voters get to pick the last two years of the term.
0: Mm. You're listening to Next on WQLN Radio. I'm your host, Marcus Atkinson, here in studio with newly elected city council president, Chuck Nelson. And, you know, this conversation is just running the gamut. We're really getting an opportunity to, you know, unpack Chuck Nelson as a person, unpack his role on city council, uh, just some of his goals and aspirations. We'll go more into in this segment, some of his goals and aspirations in this new role. But I want to talk about a program here that he is responsible for. And I'll read the first paragraph or two of this article by Kevin Flowers from January 20th of this year because I think it sets it up well and then I'll let you run with it because I, uh, having some experience through my past role and a past employment through what I'm doing right now, housing is a huge issue and what people tend to get away with when it comes to housing is the bane of a lot of our existences. Here's what the article says. It says vacant and foreclosure properties within the city of Erie will soon be required to register with code enforcement officials and those who own or control the properties must pay as much as a $600 a year, uh, as long as the property, as much as $600 a year, as long as the properties remain on the city's registry. Erie City Council on Wednesday night voted 6-0 to approve an ordinance that creates the registry. Under this new ordinance, the owners of properties that have been vacant for more than 180 consecutive days must register the property with the with the city code enforcement officials and provide the name and direct mailing address. This is what I what I found fascinating. Of the property's owner to City Code Enforcement Officials. So well, I'll stop there. I'll say this before I let you go. When I read that I thought to myself, I have had teams of people looking for owners of properties. Mm-hmm. Properties that are halfway run into the and to find the owners of some of these properties mm-hmm. is not as simple as it should be mm-hmm. right talk about this how did it come about what's your involvement give us the back the background yeah it
1: wasn't unanimous on the first reading ah then we had some changes. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, unpack that for us. No, Liz voted against that. Okay, that was, where I was a know-it-all. She well, had some the conversation about comes full circle. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, is yeah, it's a good idea. So what happened was, I've got a vacant property on my block. It actually used to be a congressman's house. Mm. Congressman Weaver from uh, Doctor Weaver from the 1980s. Uh, Doctor Snow uh, uh, was known. He he bought the house after the congressman. Yeah, and it was uh it was basically like a, a socialite. You know, Haven, they had a they've got this ballroom up on the third floor that's immaculate with a fireplace. The parties that I hear that happened back there in the 80s and early 90s. Yeah, it was. And it's been vacant for the entire time. I've lived in Erie. Wow. And it's fallen into disrepair. So, you know, I've got these examples of my block and we haven't had downtown residents on council in a long time. Um, so, so I've got these examples in, in my block where I see where it is. And then the other thing is that when you buy a house in Erie, you go and you get insured and they talk about what the replacement costs are. Like mm-hmm. I got a house that the replacement costs on are like four, five times more than what I bought it for. Right. These houses depreciate in value as, as to some extent it should, you know, um, as, as the, as any asset that falls apart does. Mm-hmm. Um, But they they go fast and eerie. It depreciates fast from and that's why we don't get new construction. So I got a list of ways to try to preserve the value of these And make it worth building new housing in Erie. And Mm -hmm. this is one of them. This is something where these houses that have fallen into disrepair, you know, they call them like vampire properties that there's, there's guys that with LLCs that just buy these, scoop them up at next to nothing. And then they try to milk it for a little bit longer with some rentals and they can make their money back fast. You know, or once that gets to the point that they can no longer rent them, then they just leave them and, you know, uh, and they leave them in disrepair and it's a, it's a blight on the whole community. Right. Um, So this, this gives a chance where, and it's foreclosures too, because banks looking at that. Yeah. Banks, banks will, banks will let a house sit for surprisingly long, given that it's on their assets, you know, and And with
0: this, they would have to pay that fee. They
1: have to pay that fee. In fact, that's really easily enforced for them. Right. We'll get, we'll get 90, 95% participation. Tracking down the homeowners is a little tricky on the vacancy one. So we'll probably get like 30% uh, enforcement there, but We, you know, we just keep tacking it on until we move them along. And this is an incentive where that house that's been vacant on my block Mm -hmm. for 10, 11, 12 years. Now, maybe that person considers living there or renting it or selling it and keeping it into good housing stock in a national housing shortage. This is a, a really good mechanism to keep housing stock in supply. Found it. Uh, first heard of it when looking comparing budgets to Wilkes-Barre to ours, mm-hmm. and seeing this was a little revenue source that they had in their code enforcement thing. Spent a lot more time researching how it was used in other communities: Buffalo, Pittsburgh, Jacksonville, mm-hmm. and then uh, yep. and then you know, Amsterdam's considering it now. I've been I've been tracking it internationally. Um, so so you know, really just trying to find those practices, trying to find those solutions, and then implementing it. You know, it was one of those things where. Jasmine and I pushed it onto the agenda. We didn't go through the proper, uh, the, the historic ways of doing it. Um, I brought the legislation up, had the solicitor edit it real quick. She seconded it. We threw it on the agenda, December twenty first, mm-hmm. so that we could so we could push it along this
0: year. Mm-hmm. So before it was a unanimous vote. Yeah. What was some of the pushback? Because on its face, when you read this, as someone who tackles a lot of these type issues on a part of town where this is like, yeah, this yeah. is the thing that's really dragging some of these neighborhoods down. What was some of the pushback and were there points made against this that made you say, mm, that needs to be addressed? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, So Liz was one that voted against it. Mm-hmm. Um, her parents had died a few years ago. They have a house, they had a house a couple doors down from where hers was. Yeah, And they left it vacant for two years you know, while they cleaned it out, while they settled the estate, you know, the, the emotional attachment of just not, you know, I mean, it's tough to call that realtor and say, can you sell mom's house? Yeah. Um, and she was like, you know, but if you, if you charged me 12, 900, $1,200 for that, that would be an extra burden in a time where I was emotionally vulnerable on that. You know, like that's, that's a problem. And, Where the response to that is we take care of that on the enforcement side. Mm -hmm. You know, this is going to be equally enforced across the city. But, you know, if uh, if code enforcement can't visibly really see that the house is vacant, if it still has mom and dad's furniture in there, if people are still mowing the lawn, it's going to be a little harder to verify that it's vacant. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, so I I don't think you're going to be I don't think it's going to be punitive against you. And we've already discussed this with code enforcement. We already discussed this with the vendor that's going to be executing the contract. I, I think it'll work out. And that's why it was called no it all But anyways. Right, right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I look at this. There's, there's a small storefront near St. Andrews, the old St. Andrews mm-hmm. on the lower west side. Mm-hmm. And guy used to own a little cookie shop. Mm-hmm. I used to go by there all the time back in the day. And then he died. Yep. And boy, even his materials for his little small business stayed in that building for years.
1: You know, I'm the one that cleared him out.
0: You know what I'm t- you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. And and then I think about all the people that are approaching us for like small storefronts. They want mm-hmm. to be in a storefront and things along those lines. You look at examples like that. I, I seen this article. You talk about all the out of town speculators. Yeah. A property here in Erie. You think about all of the landlords. When you do hunt them down, the landlord may be in a nice four or five hundred thousand dollar home in one of the suburbs of of Erie. Yeah. And I'm thinking, so what? What's up with this house falling apart on such and such street in Erie? You know. When you look at all of this, the little guy has oftentimes looked at the housing market and said, man, it seems like the more you have, the more you get away with. Yeah, it's been very frustrating. You know, give us your take on just that thought process, because obviously there's something about this topic that made you say, eh, let's see if we can find something that fits for this. This is
1: extracting wealth from our community. right? I mean, that's, that's the issue. They're extracting wealth. with that, that house on the corner, it's not just that some guy let it fall into disrepair and he lost his money on it. I'm losing wealth on it because my block is falling into disrepair because now I got people trying to cook meth in the fireplace of this abandoned house. Right. And, and that's not good for my property values. Mm-hmm. That's not good for my life. So trying to really preserve the neighborhoods and areas that have fallen into disrepair. This isn't a problem in Glenwood. There's not vacant houses in Frontier. There's not vacant houses in the suburb that landlords living in. This is a matter of extracting wealth from a whole community Mm -hmm. out to those communities uh, and other communities. And when it's a foreclosure matter and we're talking, you know, New York Stock Exchange extraction of wealth. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm happy that this is a way to to directly address that yeah. and preserve the wealth of our communities.
0: It's interesting because I've had that asked of me before in the past when it comes to abandoned homes for people that don't get a chance to interface with that on a regular basis. Is that television stuff or are there actually prostitutes you know uh, conducting business in there? Are there actually drug deals going on in there? Are there actually people squatting in these these houses? Absolutely. Yeah. Everything you it's not just law and order. Yeah. This thing is happening for real. So you draw an example of cooking meth in this in this abandoned home, but that's not hyperbole. Those are real examples. <laughs> <last month. laughs> right. Right. You know,
1: and when you're talking about people squatting in houses putting these houses back into using you know usable work that increases the housing stock and maybe now we don't have the homeless problem yeah. that we have i mean this is this isn't you know i'm not trying to be punitive against squatters right. i'm trying to provide them nice safe housing right. that'll get you know used in our rental inspection and it will be enforced by code and Will be good housing stock,
0: right? I mean, it's one of the things when I looked at this, I said, "Wow, it's it makes so much sense." And when we keep talking about transforming Erie and moving Erie into its next phase, I think uh, you can't you can't not address this issue mm-hmm. and move Erie forward. But I digress. I see the David Forrest Liked your idea where this is concerned. I saw that in the newspaper. He's sitting in Kathy Rosdick's old yeah. position. Yeah. Kathy Rosdick struck me as somebody who came in in a short amount of time, made her presence and her discipline her knowledge and discipline of her particular craft known. You know, how much of a void is it with us losing her in Erie? Yes.
1: Yeah, so I met with Kathy about this ordinance uh, for lunch November right after my election. I mean, this mm-hmm. was like the first thing I'd hoped to do. And I was really I hope to get it done in March because I didn't have any idea how uh, how 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 much obstruction happens, you know, <laughs> like and, and what the processes were to get through. So she was supportive of it. She pulled together some meetings for it. She got some general buy in from the administration on it. Uh, And then she resigned and then it just got put on ice. Like I would have had this passed in June or July had she not resigned.
0: Mm.
1: Um, Then that position was void for a little while. Dave forced first week on the job. Uh, I I met with him and told him about this. He said he wanted to get five things that were, you know, easy hits. Um, And then we went through the process all over again with him. And then there was a little bit of obstruction of like getting it on the agenda. Uh, Like, you know, just what kind of hoops we were going to jump through for it. Right. So I made sure that we jumped through all those hoops and then. And then we just pushed it through. Yeah. Um, but put like, I mean, I hope the public understands that me pushing it as hard as I can for a year gets this little registration that might bring the city $100,000 in revenue right. and address right. a problem in a
0: smallish way. It just goes to show you how difficult politics can be yeah. at times. Yeah, You know, as I said, and just uh, Kathy Rosdick, just someone who interfaced with her personally, so impressed yeah. with everything she brought to the table. Yeah. And, you know. She was intimidatingly sharp. She was very much so. Very <laughs> much so. Listen, we, we, we wish her great success in her new role. I know that some of your priorities before we close, land value tax, home rule charter yeah. as you look forward. Okay, talk about those things. Why, why are they your priorities and what do you foresee?
1: Yeah, land value tax, generally municipalities in Pennsylvania, third class cities, uh, we tax three things. We tax work, mm-hmm. we talk, we tax land and we tax improvements, you know, income tax, property taxes split between land and improvements. Got it. Um, we want land to be imp- we want improvements, right? So we have, so we abate taxes like alerta so that people will improve. And cause we want housing, we want investment in businesses. We want people working, but we tax working like mm-hmm. those are disincentives, right? land there's no disincentive to it it's land we have it already it's all ours you know like it's not you know so so vacant land is a bad thing for our community i don't i don't know how much i have to define that but it is and uh and so if we tax the bad things or the things that are being used that's that's uh that's an appropriate tax if we tax the good things i don't like doing that Right now we tax land less than we tax work, less than we tax tax improvements. Got it. We get so we only get about of the 70 million we collect in taxes, only about 10 of it's from land. I mean, if we just taxed it all from land, maybe we'd be having skyscrapers built and people working like crazy. You know, I'm not trying to go that far with it, but other cities, Allentown, Harrisburg, um, you know, they've they do a split tier land tax. They tax land at in Allentown's case five times of what they tax improvements and in Harrisburg four times. And this this puts a bigger incentive on improving our community and a greater disincentive in not improving it, just leaving the land. Got it. Home rule charter. Home rule charter. Um, So right now, Pennsylvania writes the rules as to how cities function. A third of the cities that are in third class city, which is what we are. We're in a third class city with an optional strong mayor charter. Um, They, a third of them have realized that, that it doesn't work. Usually after they end up act 47 bankrupt. Mm. So Pennsylvania allows you to just write your own rules so, right now, Lancaster's going through that. Uh, recently, Altoona went through it. Um, Newcastle just got it. Mostly, is after Act 47. Um, let's write our own rules. And you could do some more creative things with it. Uh, one of the things I'd be really hopeful to do is a homestead tax credit. So, if you have an owner-occupied house, that's another thing with us blight and people extracting wealth out of our community. Imagine if you had a $15,000 homestead. So I got my hundred thousand dollar house. I'm paying taxes on eighty five thousand of it. That that rental property next door to us, you know, is more likely to be milked, uh, and they're going to be deriving revenue from it. Um, you know, owner occupancy is an important thing. When you see what blocks have a higher percentage of owner occupancy, they're better kept. It's something that we need to incentivize. So to do a homestead, uh, to do a homestead tax credit, and and you can't do that in third class city. You just can't legally. You can't but you can do it in a home rule charter. You can't have wards represented with, by city council members in a third class city code, but home rule, you can have wards, you can have neighborhoods represented so that you don't have such a long time without anyone until now with Jasmine I representing the downtown.
0: Right, right, you right, know, right, right.
1: You, you just get to make the rules so that they actually impact the community that you're living in, in its own unique ways. Mm-hmm. And I don't get to write the new rules. We'd have a commission do that. Um, there's a whole process that, Other than saying, hey, I I hope that we do this. Nothing Mm -hmm. gets in my hands ever again. We establish a commission that gets put up for vote. The commissioners are elected. Then they bring it back to city council. It gets approved. And then the public would vote on it. And now it'll probably take like five years. Mm. As aggressive as I am, I'm just hoping to get the commission started in the next two years.
0: You know, very quickly, I know that where a person lives is palatable or not so palatable based upon its educational system. Mm -hmm. And so talk about your your goals to interface with the Erie School District. What does that look like? Because obviously us trying to attract talent to Erie, if that talent has children or has plans on having children, getting them to live in the city, it's always going to turn into an education conversation. Yeah. Give us your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah. And I kind of talked about my education conversation coming up as a, as a mm-hmm. child and my parents the sacrifices they made to make sure that we had the best access to that when I talk about that school I went to in Boston I mean, we lived in a two-bedroom apartment with a family of five yeah. now, that apartment sells for a million dollars right now because it's Boston but um you know we didn't live in you know we could have lived in uh, lesser communities and better housing, you know, like my parents chose to make those sacrifices. So it's something I've always valued. My wife's a school teacher. She's a third generation school teacher. And honestly, there's nowhere I would live within 75, hundred miles a year, except Erie city for my kids to go to high school. Mm-hmm. Collegiate Academy is just that much better. The right. diversity in it, the AP programs, the options we have in the city are the best in the, in, in a large region. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I got no qualms about that. I mean, that's, that's why I think people should live in the city. Uh, my daughter's right now in middle school at strong Vincent. They have got an honors Academy there that is, uh, that she is, I mean, she's, she's practically a genius. I mean, she she's got very high IQ. She's a gifted IEP and, uh, and she's struggling in those classes cause they are that intense. Oh yeah. I mean, there's, oh, you yeah. know, but but there is there is uh there is different tracks and and i i don't want to see uh those opportunities for mine at the expense of others you know
0: right 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 my daughter graduated from collegiate academy my second oldest daughter and the first year was so challenging she cried to leave i said Mm -hmm. stick it out this is the point to prepare you for college and very quickly when she got to her college in pittsburgh she discovered Wow, I feel like I was better prepared than yeah. a lot of my classmates, and yeah. so, and I know this isn't a last minute conversation, but I want to just ask for your overall synopsis of ARPA funds because obviously that's a front burner conversation for a lot of people. How we got them, what we're doing with them, everybody's looking at. You know, is it being spent the way it was intended? Is it is it affecting the the demographic that it was based upon? Just give us your overall synopsis of ARPA and Erie.
1: Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing is that I want to see this be not spent, but invested, Mm. you know? And when I got in, they'd already...
0: differentiation.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, When I got in, it was already all allocated. And uh, there was a a heavy portion of it that was allocated for something that doesn't... uh, That they didn't have a sustainable plan for it to continue. Uh, That studies show that it had little impact on the things they were worried about it being uh, impactful towards. Mm -hmm. And... uh, And, and so I was, I was very resistant to that. Um, that, and that's particularly that, I mean, that's police funding. Gotcha. Um, So I, I, I'd taken a pretty vocal stance on that. I lost, you know, that happens. Um, but there's no, there's no plan for us to how to sustain it right now. The plan for us to sustain that is that our community grows and the demographics don't reflect that, you know, comparable city to ours is Reading. They've got 6,000, uh, less people over the age of 65 than us. And they got 9,000 people. More than us under the age of eighteen, mm. they're growing. We're not. Yeah. So, so I, you know, I, I have questions about how we think we're going to sustain these things. But the rest of it, you know, we got 76 million. That's only 14 of it. The rest of it being spent on like, you know, uh, remediating blight, blighted houses, mm-hmm. building new properties, housing for, you know, uh, some of the disadvantaged communities, mm-hmm. and that new housing is going to be taxable. Uh, uh, investment in the community into the economics uh, job creating. Uh, that was good. I think it was spread a little thin, you know, these little $2,500 grants. I'm not sure how impactful that is, Yeah. Um, but we, you know, I think it, I think it addressed some of the problems that happened during COVID with that. Um, you know, there's the infrastructure that's being, you know, we have deferred maintenance. There's a whole generation of people that just decided to, to, to put tape on stuff in Erie. Mm -hmm. We got a lot of deferred maintenance in the city. A lot of that's being addressed. So I'm happy about that. I wish we would have seen fiber optics as a priority. Uh, but that once again, it gives back to me being an ageist because that's tough to get across to the people that are in power right now Mm -hmm. as to how necessary fiber optic internet is for the growth of our city. Um, but you know that's. I, otherwise, you know, I, I got I got pros and cons to it, but most of it was allocated before I got in.
0: Having a few beers with uh, some of the guys that I that I'm involved with in community, and and your, uh, becoming city council president came up, and one of the things that I said was what, came out in this interview today, I said you know listen, guys under forty. Husband and father, pastors a church, that is not a wealthy church, has a lot of homeless people at his church you know, does work with the homeless population, lives in the city, kids attend public schools. I mean, realistically, how many public officials can you say that about? We live in a city where the majority of the people that police our streets don't live in the city. Mm -hmm. The majority of people who put our fires out don't live in the city. The majority of the people who teach our children don't live in the city. Mm -hmm. It's a conversation that you almost get sick of hearing, and the guy in charge of city council it's actually a young family man who runs a church that's not rich and lives up the street from city hall. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of value in that. Now, obviously you're speaking from a first-hand perspective. How important is that narrative in your opinion? How much more of an effective leader do you think all of those things make you for Erie city council?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's the point and that's why I'm, that's why the, the voters put me in here. That's why my peers put me in the presidency role. I mean, it's, it is effective. And the thing is that, you know, even a guy like Brzezinski, he, he'd, he's seen, you know, his kids move away. He's got a kid up in Rochester, kid in Detroit. You know, like the goal is that we make this city the kind of place that my children have the opportunity to thrive and stay. You know, uh, when we look at the demographics of the people that have left our community in the last 10 years, it's basically the people that had the opportunities they left mm-hmm. and the people that were impoverished were still here. Um, so, so I want to make this a place where my kids don't leave because of opportunity, but rather they stay because of opportunity. Right. And that's, that's, a, that's my motivation. Mm-hmm. That's, and, and, uh, you know, when you get a family man in there and families is motivation, you know, I mean, I'll kill for my family. And if it, if I don't have to, and if I could just work really hard on city council for them, that's a lot better than killing. <laughs>
0: right, right. But, but that's that's inspiration at its finest, though. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so take us to the finish line, Chuck, as we wrap this interview up. And thank you, first of all, for your time. You know, today I know you got a lot of things going on and just to, to be able to go one on one with you so that the listener can get a better feel for who this person is. I know they've heard you in a lot of different places, but we really wanted to give a holistic viewpoint of, well, who is this man? Take us to the finish line. What do you want people to consider? What do you want people to think about as you move into this new chapter of your life?
1: Uh, I think it's a matter of looking at where the change is and, and setting aside the preconceived notions of, of failures in the past and putting those on because I wasn't here for that mm-hmm. so if we're looking to change it's not it's not the same old same old we're looking at changing things to move them forward and uh, to give me a clean slate um, a lot of the stuff as, uh, as as people see the new ideas they're like oh that's just another another thing from the, and I'm like you don't know me I'm right. new right so I just want that
0: benefit of the doubt excellent so newly elected city council president Chuck Nelson Chuck thank you so much for coming on the show Yeah, thanks for having me Marcus (laughs) and thank you to you the viewer the listener for tuning in to Next on WQLN once again if you get an opportunity check out our show again every fourth fourth Sunday of the month at 4pm you can hear the show you can check us out on Facebook for those of you who are into social media we've got various demographics here for Next on WQLN I'm your host Marcus Atkinson and we will talk to you and see you next time